Welcome to Bankless, where we explore the frontier of internet money and internet finance. This is how to get started, how to get better, and how to front run the opportunity. This is Ryan Sean Adams, and I'm here with David Hoffman, and we're here to help you become more bankless. Guys, fantastic episode. The title is Understanding Crypto. We get inside the brain of a crypto trader, one of my favorites on crypto Twitter. This is Kobe coming at you. We talk about a few things. Watch out for them. Five, what it takes to last in crypto, not for the short run, but for the long term. Kobe's been at this for 10 years. He goes through that. Second, does decentralization really matter? We get a conversation, perhaps a, a bit of a debate on that topic. Third, what does Kobe actually think about Bankless and its thesis? He puts that to the test. Fourth, we do a fun exercise like character alignment. People in the crypto space, are they lawful good? Are they chaotic evil? Are they neutral good? Uh, we talk about a few folks there. And number five, we end with outlook and predictions for 2022. Is it going to be a bullish or bearish year? Stay tuned for a fantastic episode. David, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I think calling Kobe a trader is uh, underselling him. <laughs> I think if you ask Kobe what he is, he would also undersell himself too. I think that's kind of part of his character. Yeah, He's definitely a part philosopher, I think. He's a trader philosopher type, if you will. And there's a dynamic, a pendulum back and forth, I think, where like, oh, he's in trader mode or philosopher mode. And I think that's one of Kobe's great strengths is he can trade on he uses philosophy to trade and it's definitely worked out for him. And overall, he just has very long form answers, in-depth answers that pull in so many different bits of knowledge from different corners of the crypto world to you know, provide evidence for his answer. And it's just an impressive feat of brain power, I think. And so I just enjoyed picking Kobe's brain as somebody that a lot of people look up to in this space for just leadership and just an example of how to how to survive in crypto. I think if there's anyone that's survived through the biggest slog, it's Kobe. Uh, and he's still around kicking, just kicking ass. And maybe he's around for another decade after this. Who knows? I believe that, man. That's another good episode title, How to Survive in Crypto, because that's really what we went through. And you mentioned the word depth. I think that was a key insight for me, too. Kobe does have a tremendous amount of depth. And though we called him trader, he's a trader in the outset. He definitely narrative trades in a way that uh, you and I don't. But he also has a long-term thesis for this space. And so it was really cool to see him push against our theses and challenge some of our ideas. And there's some fantastic back and forth there about the value of decentralization, how much that really matters, both from an investment perspective, but also from the future of what we're really building in crypto. So guys, stay tuned to hear all of that. Of course, as usual, if you're a Bankless Premium member, David and I will be talking, doing a full episode debrief of all of our thoughts on the episode that is available on the premium podcast feed. So if you're a premium member, you can tap into that as well. All right, guys, this was a really fun conversation. I think you guys are going to enjoy this one. Some people said that Kobe would never show up on Bankless yet. Here he is today on the show. So let's go ahead and get right into that interview right after we talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Slingshot is a decentralized trading platform that combines the performance and ease of a centralized exchange with the openness and transparency of DeFi, creating the world's most powerful trading platform. Slingshot aggregates liquidity from all of DeFi in order to find the best price on thousands of crypto assets. Every token on Slingshot comes with a price chart and trade logs to give you insights into the market's activity in real time. Slingshot is available on Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism, saving you from the high gas fees and low transaction speeds of the Ethereum L1. There are no fees to trade on Slingshot, and any positive slippage is given to the users. Trading on Slingshot is a social experience. Chat with others online about trading, markets, and tokens via the platform's built-in global chat box featuring Web3 sign-in. 
You can even set your chat avatar to your favorite NFT or soon a Slingshot 2099 NFT avatar. Once you bridge your assets to Polygon, Arbitrum, or Optimism, go to app.slingshot.finance to trade and use the chat box to share your trades with others and find other tokens to ape into. Bankless is proud to be sponsored by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum that lets you trade any token at the current market price. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. The Uniswap Grants program is accepting applications for grants. Do you have something of value that you think you want to contribute to the Uniswap ecosystem? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at uniswapgrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that's going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. Over 250 projects have already deployed on Arbitrum, and Arbitrum's DeFi and NFT ecosystems are growing rapidly. Arbitrum increases Ethereum speed by orders of magnitude for a fraction of the cost of the average gas fee. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of decentralization and security. If you're a developer who wants low gas fees and instant transactions for your users, as well as EVM compatibility when developing, visit develop developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building your application on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps or NFT projects building on Arbitrum. Many of your favorite apps are already live, with many more coming over soon. You can find these apps at portal.arbitrum.one, and you can bridge your assets over to Arbitrum using bridge.arbitrum.io in order to experience DeFi and NFTs the way it was always meant to be. Fast, cheap, and friction-free. Bankless Nation, we are super excited to introduce our next guest. It's the guest you thought would never happen, is now happening. We've got Kobe on the podcast, formerly known as Crypto Cobain. You probably know him from Twitter. Maybe you've read his Substack. Maybe you listen to Up Only, which is his podcast. He's been in the game, the crypto game, that is, since 2022. We're going to talk about what he's done since 2022, his philosophy on things, any beefs with Bankless he might have. I don't know. We're going to just lay it out here. Not really a strict agenda. We're just going to talk about whatever comes to mind. Kobe, welcome to Bankless. How are you doing, man? Hello, mate. How are you doing? Uh, I trolled you on Twitter before I joined. Sorry. I just like to create entertainment for people. It's not beef. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is entertaining. Yeah. So Kobe, before Twitter, I was like, hey, uh, we're having Kobe record on the podcast. What questions do you guys have? And Kobe's like, uh, I'm going to be at the beach, guys. Was that was that actually today? And for a split second, I was like, okay, I don't know if he's coming or not, David, but it's just Kobe. That's what you do. Yeah, I feel like the entirety of crypto Twitter has got a handshake agreement that we're all continually being mean to each mm-hmm. other as a joke. Yes. <laughs> but I've recently realized some people don't realize it's a yeah. joke. They're, they're not even joking themselves. They've been serious. Some people are really mean. Yeah. Some people just they see the Twitter and then it's, oh, that's just them being toxic. God damn. Why are they always so toxic all the time? And then they don't realize that like, oh, we're just shitposting, having a good time. <laughs> I do think, it though, it's a rough game out there. I mean, surviving in crypto takes a lot, right? And you've been at this game for like, what, is it like 10 years now, Kobe? Yeah, like a little bit less, I think. But it's getting to the point where you may as well just say 10. Okay, so a decade in crypto. What does it take to survive in crypto? How have you made it so long? And I'm talking volatility. I'm talking about like crypto Twitter, you know, pain. I'm talking about everything that comes within this industry. Dealing with idiots. Dealing with the idiots. <laughs> the information flood into your mind every single day. You go, you miss an hour in crypto and it feels like you missed an entire week. All of that. How'd you last so long? What's your secret? 
Yeah, I mean, the the idiots thing, that was not a problem five years ago. I think that like uh, the politicization of everything over the last decade has 10x'd probably three times. Um, like Twitter used to be, I'd never thought about using the block button, but like now the experience is virtually unusable unless you press it a few times a day. Um, but crypto specifically, um, I think when when people ask this question, it's very easy to um, to like use this like sort of hindsight bias and we're like oh well i did this and i thought this about the world and blah 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 but it's it's sort of similar to that you know that photo of a plane an old war plane that they used to like try and figure out where they should reinforce the armor so that their planes mm -hmm. would survive longer and then they were putting the armor in the wrong place because the only the only planes that came back were the ones that survived and they go well we need to reinforce where they're getting hit survivorship bias yeah exactly and you can like think about like I can think all these things like oh what did I do differently to other people um or like what did like I have in my character that meant I could survive and, and I don't know if it matters too much I think it's more useful to observe all the people I know from that time that didn't um like get to this point in the market and went and did other things some of them very successful other things and um so I'm just left to markets entirely um and then the people that did from uh from my my like cohort or um graduation class or whatever and i think the first thing was that most people that uh, survived through the markets have or had is like a healthy balance of skepticism and like curiosity because it's really easy to poke holes in everything right you can i can tell you a million reasons why bitcoin could probably fail ethereum's not going to do well why solana's like fucked and stuff. It's really easy to come up with those things. And I understand that mindset. It's also really easy to turn something into uh, like a religious sort of group and be like, I'm so convicted on this thing. I'll, you know, this is going to, and, and then you disregard everything or criticism as like FUD or, you know, whatever. And I think the people that did really well and, and made it through um, multiple cycles of it going to infinity and then going to zero over and over um, were somewhere in the middle where they were able to think really skeptically and say, okay, what could go wrong here? What other things um, uh, uh, might invalidate why I believe in this thing? But at the same time, they were able to be optimistically curious enough to go, okay, maybe I'm a natural skeptic and these things might happen and that's all bad. And yeah, like um, these are the things that could go wrong. But also, on the other hand, if the world changes in these ways, how can it be different in the future? Um, and I think those people were the ones that saw past Mount Gox dying and the centralized exchanges blowing up and seeing, um, okay, does this matter in the bigger picture? Like, maybe it matters today, maybe it matters for the next two years, but maybe not in 10 years. And they saw Ethereum's ecosystem change from the 2017 era of, like, people just doing like felonious Kickstarter projects into being, okay, that's actually a type of product built on Ethereum. Yeah, maybe it's an illegal fundraising platform at the moment, but that is one product that you can build on Ethereum. And then they saw other products start to get built on Ethereum through 2019. And sometimes the new products look like the old one, but they were curious enough to understand the differences. Um, so I think that's like one thing that like a lot of people that were able to make it through the markets had and the second one is like people don't like to talk about it so much because th they like to think that they're smart and stuff but it's just like luck and not like won the lottery flipped a coin luck but it's a, a sort of like cosmic 
right place, right time, right life circumstances kind of luck where they didn't have to become a forced seller of this thing they believed in because they had a kid or because they had um, a health issue or or something. Instead, they were, you know, um, the right age so that they didn't need to, you know, rely on their investments to pay for a house. Um, or they had, it, like, for in my case, I was at university and the amount of money I put into crypto was so small <laughs> that when I got a job, it didn't matter I didn't need to ever cash it out to like do something. I could increase my lifestyle and I could have that lifestyle bloat by getting a promotion and getting a new job. And I was lucky enough to have a few like well-paying jobs in, in tech, um, which meant I didn't need to ever sell my crypto in order to fund some part of my life. And I think most people that didn't make it that back then believed became forced sellers somehow um, either over leveraging life circumstances or something like that. And I think a lot of it's down to that. Um, just the right age, right place, right time, right like life circumstances, right education or whatever um, that people don't like to admit so much. What about a like a North Star or just guiding principle when you learned about crypto? Was there anything like distant in the horizon in 2050? everything's going to be on crypto? Or was there any sort of like thing that you really resonated with you about crypto that you discovered early on? Yeah, um, not. I never thought about 2050, and st I still don't think about 2050. We'll probably all be underwater, not just in crypto underwater. I mean, like the entire world's underwater. But um, I, I was at university when I first got into crypto, um, and I went to like a a university in the UK called University of Bristol. It's kind of like where you go if you don't get into Oxford or Cambridge. It's like 50 percent, or maybe more than 50 percent like people with trust funds and they're like very posh and um, they don't worry about money so much and they're having a nice time at university. And then the other half of people that I knew were all very deeply in debt. The banks like hook you in by giving you the student overdraft, which in the UK, do you have overdrafts in America? Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah. That's why, you know, bankless, we hate banks. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So like they give you the student overdraft, which is just like free debt. You, they give you like three grand. You can do whatever you want with it. You don't pay any interest while you're a student and the first two years after you stop being a student and all the people that I knew at university or my friends that didn't have like family money, they instantly said, okay, cool. I've got 3000 pounds for free. <laughs> like that's my money now. And like zero was no longer zero. It was minus 3000. They just went, cool, that's, that's my money. I can do whatever I want with that. And then they left university and all of a sudden you've got interest payments on this and everyone's like, you know. So I, I met those two types of people at university. And then in my family, like people in my family, they lost their pensions in the um, tw like 2008 financial crisis and stuff like that. So I was, I had this sentiment around banks, but also just like the financial system, which seemed to overlap with the political system in general uh, and I was very like emotional about it and like maybe a little bit naive about it as well but I was sort of looking for a way out so seeing crypto as seeing bitcoin at least as this um impartial uh non-state money that there was there was no guy in a like an office tower block in Canary Wharf or wherever in New York I don't know the geography of New York well enough that was going to make decisions about their own PL that would impact, you know, my family. And they don't give a shit about that. They just care about like unwinding their position because they fucked it. 
if there was a money where there wasn't a guy with that power, I was more interested. I was interested in that. And I, I wanted that to be like how the world worked. I wanted there to be a system where there wasn't someone dictating, you know, how much of uh, the, how much rent they get to uh, like cream off the um, like normal population. So I, I felt emotionally like super invested in this idea at the very beginning. Um, and that's like what was the initial spark for me. But yeah, I didn't know how stuff was going to be in 2050. Mate, I'll be dead by then. I think this story resonates with a lot of people because this seems to be just the system. I'm in disenfranchise. I'm not part of the system. There's no way that I can get wealthy in the system. Therefore, like I might as well look elsewhere. This thing's not going to work for me. And so there's this new thing that's going on and I'm going to just gravitate my attention there. I think a lot of people have that a similar story. The old ways of gaining wealth is not going to work. So might as well just put wealth literally anywhere else. Yeah, I think it's like twofold. It's like partially that, right? Like, and I think that's why you've seen the rise of Robinhood and option like retail options traders and why Elon was so uh, was able to resonate so well with Dogecoin because that is the story of like normal people now they don't they think the system is it is impossible for them to break out of it and they see house prices well, they're up for like four or five x in the last 30 years but wages are stagnant and they just see their goals slipping away and becoming unachievable but the the part of it that i think was more triggering for me was that it seemed intentional it wasn't just like oh this is the system and i can't like the the there's no lever i can pull to like win it was more like wait <laughs> The people who seem to be responsible for the like financial crisis also seem to be the ones that did the best. Like, what? How does that make sense? Like, they seem to, some of them made a profit. What? Like, how come none of them lost their job? How come they just like doing the same shit like five years later? So it it was more that if there are central parties and there are people in charge, that humanity is often corruptible in search of private privatized profits. And just the fact that there was like, yeah, maybe like, sure, Satoshi, the ghost of Satoshi or whatever, maybe still around. But the lack of that was what was attractive to me, I think. Is that still a big driver for you then, Kobe? Kind of like F the system? Um, I don't know, man, because like, I, I was early 20s back then. I'm getting old now. So I, I was just in, <laughs> I was just in my like, you know, uh, where eyeliner phase listening to rock music and stuff but um like i think a little bit but i think also i've capitulated a little bit on uh how easy it is to fight back because <laughs> like you've seen a lot of it it's like very relevant now not just with like the financial system but with everything like the dissemination of information and uh you know public trust in institution government big tech corporations, even game publishers. I've been in arguments with people on Twitter about games like for the last few days. And it's like, it's at all time lows that people really, really don't trust large centralized power. And that sort of F the system thing feels like it's been bubbling, I don't know, since like the 60s or 70s or something. And then it's reaching a point now where their incompetence or lack of respect from the people in power is so large that it just feels like they don't care. They're like, you can't do anything anyway. <laughs> like, like everyone knows now that there is massive corruption in the UK. We have like all these Tory peers, the like the government party, the peers just like giving themselves COVID relief um, contracts for like hundreds of millions of pounds and stuff. It's like they just don't give a shit. It's not like they're trying to hide it. It's not like the you know they're like, oh no, if if they find out about the cryptocurrencies, they'll take us down. They're just like, nah, we don't care. 
we'll, we'll just keep doing it. No, there's no like forum of accountability anymore. So I think in some ways it's like, it, it, I feel, it feels still important to me, but I feel like I've capitulated a little bit on, or at least become complacent in like fighting the fight. It's like half the time you fight against your own people these days. Talk a little bit about that capitulation, right? Because like, I think what we really want to do in this episode too is like also understand how you think, how kind of a trader thinks, right? Because I think, um, yeah, it's somewhat, Dave and I have discussed this before, but we sort of see, you know, Kobe and Up Only as kind of like a yin to Bankless's yang, right? It's like crypto world needs both of these perspectives very much. It's sort of like narrative trader versus what we try to think of ourselves as like, a bit more fundamentals investor, right? But like we try to stay open-minded and realize that we also don't have the like end-all thesis on this thing and like no one actually knows what fundamentals are. But like we really appreciate your perspective on this. But so let's get into that, into the idea of you know, capitulating a little bit on that ideal, right? So our philosophy or like the bankless thing would be like, hey, we acknowledge and we see the nihilism, right? Shit sucks, man. Institutions totally failed us. This is worldwide. This is in the US. You know, the banks, baby boomer generation, they've all screwed us. And we might very well be underwater in 2015. Guess what? They don't care. They're going to be gone. They don't give a shit about us. They don't care about the next generation. So we see that, right? And that's like a existentially, that's a hard place to be in because you're like, okay, well, nothing matters. None of this matters anymore. And so then you go and you're like, okay, how is the game played? Let me go figure out the game. And I'm going to play a game that I can actually win for a change, right? Maybe get into crypto, maybe start figuring stuff out. But like for Bankless, it's a bit more than that because we haven't yet, I feel like, capitulated on the thing that we are trying to build, which is a new disintermediated financial system for the world, right? Like we don't believe all of the hype around Web3, okay? So like, I hope we're not naive. I don't think we're naive. Like, we know tons of ways this could go wrong, but we hold out hope that we actually have a shot in our generation to actually get this right and rebuild the system from the ground up. So I like to think like we haven't yet capitulated on that. Now, there's days where like I'm like, oh shit, it's over. Like I've fully capitulated. <laughs> like we're never going to make it. Like this is not going to work. Uh, what am I even doing here? There's definitely days like that, but I feel like we haven't given up. Are, are you still there yet? Or do you feel like, hey, this crypto thing, I don't know if it's going to work out or not. Whatever. The institutions always win in the end. So might as well play the game. Yeah, I feel sort of like crypto itself is inevitable and not so much a capitulation like, oh, I don't care so much about what happens. Um, it's all pointless. But more that the individual contributions are much smaller than I previously calculated. Like, I don't think the world re revolves around me. I don't think the, what like we put on up only makes a difference in the world <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> I think it at best can entertain a bunch of people and allow them to remain interested in something. But I definitely don't think we should be telling people, you know, what to care about or how to think. Um, I think that Bankless, like, I think it's is great that you're very principled about what you care about and it's clear that you you know make content about what you're interested in but i think in that there's also in another uh like set of biases which is like being unequally critical depending on what crypto project we're talking about right and in the grand scheme of things 
Bitcoin people would tell you by promoting Ethereum, you're actually capitulating because Ethereum has much more of a, a like a structural similarities to the old system than the new one. And then Bankless might tell you that by talking about Avalanche, you're capitulating. And, you know, like I think there's a big spectrum. And in general, I think at the moment for most crypto projects, minus a subsection of, you know, the market that I think we could probably all agree on and identify pretty quickly. I think most serious intelligent builders have similar goals because it all stems from Bitcoin, right? They were all inspired by the same mission Bitcoin was or Ethereum was, and they thought, oh, I can do this in a different way or I can do this better. And I think if I'm totally honest with myself, I believe that most serious builders are not just trying to enrich themselves. And anyone in crypto is generally on a similar type of mission. And I, I think crypto is probably inevitable. I think it's inevitable that there is uh, a permissionless and trustless system that underpins how society transacts because the old system worked so, so poorly. And there's obviously groups of people and smarter, increasingly smarter people that can see a future that will work in this way. But I don't necessarily believe the chain that we all live on 100 years in the future even exists yet. It might not. I don't know if it will be Ethereum or Solana or Bitcoin Cash or whatever. <laughs> so instead, I've transitioned, I think, a little bit towards like what I like to call reality maximalism, where instead of applying my personal politics and what I want to happen or what I think is the best thing to happen to the market or to my investments, instead I just like to observe what is happening and try and understand why that's happening and kind of take it from there. Because if you go back to my Twitter account, not my Kobe one, my normal one, before early 2017, I think, like I was early to Ethereum because I was a Bitcoiner, they sold to all Bitcoiners, we like bought the ICO and then by 2017, I was hugely disappointed with Ethereum because I was a big believer in this decentralization. And obviously we had the DAO hack, we had the roll back the chain moment and had the fork. And then Ethereum seemed to be becoming this platform for illegal fundraising and no one seemed to give a shit. No one seemed to care. Um, so I had this personal and political anti-Ethereum stance and a personal and political very pro privacy coin, privacy token, privacy technology type stance. And if I'd applied those things to my investment thesis more than I did, it would have been a huge mistake because Ethereum did really well and Zcash went to zero. <laughs> it's like okay. slowly went to zero, right? It's, it's on its way. But like from that point, I tried to, instead of applying like these personal um, politics onto my investments instead just go okay what is happening why is it happening and what are the underlying growth mechanisms behind what's happening and what can i learn from what is happening right and that's why though if people were like incredibly politically motivated by the concepts of decentralization throughout the last year they got totally screwed versus market participants because they owned bitcoin and ethereum as the most decentralized assets in the whole space um i think bitcoin Maybe an Ethereum too, definitely Bitcoin. Ethereum, Ethereum, I think is gray area and you could argue. And I think we'd probably agree on the argument. But I think those are the two assets that only the only ones, whereas if there was a massive state attack today on censorship, they're the only two that would reasonably survive, right? Like Solana, you have the memes, the chain goes down. I think it's down again today. Like there's a very 
central core team who are very important. If Toli goes, who knows what happens to Solana, right? And the thing is, that's the same place Ethereum was not so long ago. Like as crypto projects are born, they start out very centralized. Bitcoin did as well. You remember the, inf I, I don't know when you got into crypto, but there was an inflation bug in, in Bitcoin and a billion Bitcoin were uh, released or something. I don't remember when it was. It was slightly before my time, but I remember reading about it. And like they had to come together and fix that very quickly. And then at some point, Satoshi left. And at some point, it didn't matter so much anymore. And at some point, it became resilient. And Ethereum's going through a similar thing in that Vitalik still has a very important political role in Ethereum, but less so over time. Now he wrote, writes sort of, you know, these roadmaps for the future to inspire the people doing the real work. And it's not so much him, you know, sitting in a, a bedroom in his pants anymore, just doing like some blockchain coding. But I think Ethereum and Bitcoin are the only two that would survive a state attack today. In 10 years, that might not be that might not be the same, that might not be true. There might be more things that have crossed this chasm uh, because the people behind those chains have the same set of values as the people building uh, Ethereum or the people building Bitcoin did. So I think inter-crypto cap capitulation on those things is sort of void. I mean, unless you're, you know, like promoting like hard centralized platform tokens, which are like sometimes good trades, but, you know, not necessarily for me. Um, then I, I don't think it matters so much like where you place your interest within crypto because decentralization as a thesis is a bet that in the future, it will be incredibly valuable for this system to be decentralized. There are also other bets within blockchain about why something might be valuable. And one of them is like usability. <laughs> like Ethereum for the last year has created a massive com like competition vector for other blockchains because people care about using blockchains more than they care about decentralization right now. And betting on decentralization suggests that you think that will change in the future. Um, and I think it will. I think decentralization is hugely important, but I also know that I shouldn't tell people what to think. They'll make their own minds up. And right now, clearly it has been less important than them being able to participate in the ecosystem at all or being able to afford to. I see this big difference between your disposition and Bankless's disposition. I feel like our a leaf on the wind, right? Like crypto will do its thing and you're just going to ride it and see how it falls. And the Bankless side of things is like we kind of want to cover and talk about and discuss decentralization and decentralized related things of that nature. Uh, we have certainly as a media entity gotten plenty of just blowback for not discussing like the rise of the alt layer ones as much as the crypto markets have turned their attention towards it, where the crypto world has you know started to focus on things like Solana and Avalanche and you know insert your new smart contract blockchain here. Bankless has kind of continued to do the thing we were, all, we were doing prior, which is kind of just focus on the, I think, deeper fundamental technologies. And the conversation of Bitcoiners pointing at Ethereum being like, oh, it's a centralized scam chain. And then Ethereans pointing at like the next chain down the line, like, oh, it's a centralized scam chain. Like we're on like iteration number three of that right now. Like we have all the new L1s where all the other, the incumbents are pointing at the disruptor chains and saying that disruptor chains are a bunch of like centralized scam chains. And like, who knows, maybe there's iteration number four of that. And they, maybe it actually just keeps on going for the rest of time. But I think the justification for why talk about decentralization and decentralization and only things that are decentralized or related to that subjects is that like crypto is supposed to be an infinite game. We're supposed to be playing this game of crypto for hopefully 
the rest of time. Hopefully our kids are playing the crypto game, their kids are playing the crypto game, and hopefully that just becomes the new normal. And me and Ryan think that if we're just a leaf on the wind and the wind just blows us wherever we go, it might actually blow us into an outcome where the game ends because it ended up centralized. And it's kind of like a, Chris Dixon has that line where like, if you ask people what they wanted in like the 1800s, they would have said a faster horse rather than a car, right? And so like, we think that we have some sort of responsibility to only talk about decentralized things because then our kids can also play this game and their kids can play this game and it continues. Uh, and so like maybe the strategy here at Bankless is like only talk about decentralization and when Solana and Avalanche do cross that chasm, maybe we do talk about it then. But I think we'll continue to decline to talk about that until the day comes. And maybe that's our role in the ecosystem. Maybe if you know Solana wants an appearance on Bankless, like, well, they're going to have to work on their centralization. And as soon as they do, maybe we do invite them on. Yeah, I think I got like three main responses in my head while you were talking. The first one was like, imagine if like this leaf in the wind blows and lands in this centra centralized power world. I feel like it would be arrogant of myself to be like, ah, if only Up Only TV had covered more, <laughs> been more sensitive in their coverage of decentralization, we might have ended up somewhere totally different. Like I'm pretending to be Kirk Bain on the internet for ages and... If it relies on me not talking about Solana, then I think we already failed, maybe. The second was what you said. It's like a spectrum, right? There's a decentralization spectrum and people draw the line in different places. And I understand drawing the line at Ethereum because I think it's the probably the only other asset apart from Bitcoin that could withstand state attack or, you know, uh, large coordinated attacks. But... And I understand it also because if you draw the line after Solana and Avalanche and Luna or whatever, then all of a sudden people from like Harmony and Nia come knocking on the door. And then if you include them, then all of a sudden it's like further down and it's like, where does it stop? And Binance chain. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. It, it starts to get blurry for an audience. So I kind of get that perspective because you say, oh, well, they talk about Solana and this looks exactly like Solana, but there are fundamental differences that retail investors can't understand so well. Um, so I understand drawing the line there. But my third, my third thing is like as we've acknowledged in earlier in this podcast, a lot of re a lot of the reason people get into crypto is not necessarily because they're looking for a trustless, permissionless way to interact online. Some people do, you know. I'm sure some people in El Salvador and Cuba and Venezuela, I think they do look for that. But one of the reasons, as we said earlier, that people get into crypto is because they see this system that is rigged against them and they can't afford to buy a house and the billionaires doubled their net worth or tripled their net worth in the pandemic and they're looking for a way out. And if you show them Bitcoin, they just hold Bitcoin and like what, it's been up 5% year to day or something. Like it was, maybe it was even higher this time last year. And if you show them Ethereum, they buy some on Coinbase and then they try and buy an NFT and they spent more on their gas fee than they did on the NFT. Obviously not now, but like in the, you know, peak of mint season last year and they can't really do anything. And then you sort of lose them as audience and they're good people. They're not like, you know, they're not looking around trying to like scam people or they're not trying to shill other chains, they're good people who uh, were also just looking for a way out of the circumstances or the system that feels rigged against them. And they end up on Solana because it's what they can afford to use, or they end up on Avalanche because it's what they can afford to use. And if you tell them they're on a centralized scam chain, they're like, I no longer really respect you as a broadcaster because you you 
rejecting my experience of not being able to transact on Ethereum. Oh, I don't care. It's decentralized. I can't use it. I can't afford to use it. And in in their eyes, it's like, what was it like for you when you joined crypto? And for me, I like, you know, put a couple of hundred quid into crypto and that was my entire inflow ever. And if Ethereum was in its current state, I would not have been able to live on chain very well. Maybe I could have used some of the L2s, which have their own UX issues and stuff. But back then it didn't matter because we just used Cryptsy and MintPal and the exchange fees were just transferring like which blockchain you use and you could just use Litecoin. So it was fine. <laughs> um, so I, I do, I don't, I totally understand it and I res respect it. And I think that there probably will be podcasts for each of uh, those blockchains too, right? Like there's a What Bitcoin Did, there's a Bankless. Maybe there'll be a Soulless for Solana. <laughs> Wait, that's a terrible oh, name. <laughs> Dude, I was talking to Ryan earlier. It's like, do we get so much flack for not covering all of these L1s? They need to just make their own podcast in that case. Like, we're leaving the door open for them. Please go forth. I think so. I guess a couple things as you were speaking, Kobe, and like things that I feel like we're probably 100% aligned on, right? 100% aligned on the fact that chain maximalism is a trap. Like, it's a toxic tribal trap from an investment perspective but also from like a, a mind cage perspective, like it's just kind of dumb, okay? I would say that our thesis is a different, right? It's not chain maximalism, it's decentralization maximalism. And I think that is definitely an investment thesis, but it also might not be, especially short term, the highest ROI profit maximalization investment thesis. So that's one piece of it. The other hard agree that we would have for you is like, from a user perspective, hell yeah. Users should use whatever chain they feel like using, whatever chain is cheapest. We just had uh, Vitalik on the podcast and he was talking about trip to Argentina he had. And he was like, hey, what do you think was the top used blockchain? Okay, right. It was ended up as Binance. Oh uh, yeah, I saw this. It was Binance, wasn't it? That's fantastic. And why is it fantastic for people in Argentina is because Binance, as much as you have to trust one guy's database, as Vitalik said, like it's better than the status quo, isn't it? And it's cheap and it's better than Ethereum, obviously, for that particular use case. And this same conversation exists about the Chinese central bank digital currency too. Exactly. It's going to work wonders for empowering a bunch of people to be included in the financial world. Exactly. It's also going to be the Chinese central bank digital currency. Decentralization, maximization, but like not chain maximization, totally with you there. And like users should use whatever chain they feel like using. And th there shouldn't be some like religious pressure on them from people like Bankless or anybody in crypto to say, no, you shouldn't do that. Like that's sinful to use this chain. This is a bad chain. Don't do that, user. Our message is a more to people who are designing these chains and pretend to be decentralized when they're not, Kobe. The outcome that you're talking about, the idea that decentralization is inevitable, I'm not sure that that's actually true. I'm not actually sure that things do naturally decentralized over time, unless you have a layer zero, a group of individuals and people that actually fight for that decentralization. You were talking earlier in the episode about the Bitcoin inflation bug, right? At the root of things, how did that get resolved? It gets resolved at the social layer, the layer zero, like below the layer one, where people are like, no, Bitcoin is 21 million fixed cap. Of course, we're not going to let this inflation bug go. We're going to fix this in code. Code is not law. It's all backed by layer zero. And that's why I actually think maybe 
you sell yourself short a little bit with up only when you talk about the lack of influence that you have in the crypto world because we are pioneers we are early it's kind of like saying i'm not saying we're the founding fathers but like somebody like vitalik right we're here during the revolution sorry this is an american you know kind of thing but like 1780s right 1790s you know founding an entire country and the people that were there had a ton of relevance like they set the layer 0 for an entire nation state and that's why David and I and Bankless feel like we have a tremendous amount of responsibility to do that because ultimately the layer zero enforces it. So the question of whether we're going to have a good disintermediated, decentralized crypto system for the world or not, what does that ultimately rest on? People. It rests on the layer zero. And because we're here first, we actually have a responsibility to be like, no, these values are important to us. We should embed them in the protocol. We should embed them in the social layer to the extent that we can so that we can have the good outcomes that we all want later. Oh, and you're new? You just joined in 2021 and you don't know these things? Let's talk about why they are so important so that you can come like aboard this thing. And that's how we grow a movement, I feel like. And I think the people who are here first actually do have a ton of influence in shaping the next decade. Like I think you do. I think Bankless does. I think people like Vitalik does. Satoshi definitely does. Like all of us here do. It's so early that we can have an outsized impact and it won't just naturally happen. It, we've got to be intentional about it. What do you think about that? Maybe, yeah. I Like to my two main thoughts, honestly, like the earlier in, in your in your speech, very inspiring speech, by the way, earlier in your, in your <laughs> speech, you, um, you said you don't think things like tend to decentralize naturally over time. And like evidence would suggest from crypto projects, at least that they, they, they do. And evidence, evidence would suggest in web two world or pre crypto world that they don't like wealth centralizes, power centralizes, um, et cetera, until there is a need for, for that decentralization. And then, um, it becomes super important and people are able to much more easily quantify its importance. If there is suddenly state attacks on blockchains, that layer zero are going to react because they're human beings. They understand incentive structures. They understand what's important to the world. Um, they're going to say, okay, we can't focus on user experience or scalability right now. Um, because the most important thing to work on is, uh, decentralization. Whereas right now, the, the most important thing in crypto is perhaps not decentralization because there are very decentralized assets in the space, but they're uh, not usable to, uh, like people that might need to use them. Like, you know, most USDCs done on Tron or something. Like Udi told me that the other day and I was like, oh God, Udi was shilling Tron, Tron like 2019. And he's using <laughs> this as a reason that he was right, even though everything else fell apart, even Justin left. <laughs> Udi's like, I was right. Look how much tethers on Tron. Fuck's sake. But um, <laughs> like, so I think it, it, it does just decentralize over time. And as humans coordinate what's important using you know, the, the, the current flaws or the current weaknesses in the ecosystem, that's what layer zero builds for, which is why no one is trying to outcompete Ethereum on decentralization because they're doing pretty well on decentralization, but they, they really struggle on like how usable it is for uh, retail people. And there's now there's a focus, especially for the last couple of years from builders who know that that's really important. So you see all these layer two teams now and um, doing doing really great work. Um, but I, I do think the layer zero adjusts for what is important in the world. And I also believe if there is huge state attack and 
all the existing blockchains were somehow erased from existence, the layer zero would collaborate to create a new decentralized way to transact with each other because it would be the most important thing in the world to have. And so I think that that was um, one one of the thoughts I had while you were talking. Um, the other one was like, personally, if I believe decentralization is important, which I do, I think the best way to onboard people onto that idea is not to just continually shout at them. I think it's like, if someone came to me with an idea that I didn't care about and just kept saying, yo, Jordan, this is the most important thing. Look at this is the most important thing. But all the evidence in the market or in like what people were interested in talking about and where the intellectual capital was being spent was not that thing. I would be like, oh, this, can you please stop? Can, you, shh, shh, can I try to focus? <laughs> um, and I, I think it's better to like acknowledge reality and keep these principles over time and have them as guiding principles but not the most important thing like you know people are super interested in how to make money in crypto what DeFi is DeFi on avalanche has tons and tons and tons of users and they're learning what DeFi is they're learning how an amm works they're learning how what what uniswap is but they don't know it's called uniswap (laughs) because the code's been copied and pasted but they're being onboarded to those ideas and being comfortable with self-custodying and being comfortable with trading between crypto assets while sure Avalanche is maybe a, a bit of a smokescreen and is not maximally decentralized and they made a nice new consensus algorithm but then they didn't really use it because it had some problems or something like like all that stuff I get it but the net impact on real people onboarded into the ecosystem and using decentralized finance or maybe decentralized only in name because they're copies of actual decentralized finance, but that onboards people into an ecosystem and that helps them understand how these products work. And I think that can have also a net positive impact over time, the same way being guided by these principles or having these principles, but it not being the most important or only principle and instead being more like neutral and reality uh, maximalist, I think is probably the superior way in onboarding people over time to the idea that a decentralized world is better. I don't care, like loads of people got into Bitcoin because of Silk Road. Like that's clearly not, well, I'm not going to do a podcast about how Silk Road was like the greatest (laughs) invention in human history or anything. I was like, the drug market should be decentralized and use permissionless money. But it was very good for onboarding lots of people and showing them the value of a decentralized currency. So I, I, I just think that it's, a similar goal approached for in, in a different way and you onboard different people right like if there was only bankless if there was only up only tv people different people watch different ones and they'd go like i don't like up only tv because he's always drunk and he take he t- don't take anything seriously and he like thinks everything is joke and he goes like early and now he got rich so he don't care about his principles anymore and like more recently i got people saying i'm a trust fund kid and like <laughs> just like some fiction like clearly he's got rich parents or something um some people don't like that. Some people don't watch it because of those reasons and they maybe enjoy Bankless or maybe they enjoy, you know, some something else. Um, we got a much smaller audience than you, so that we're in the long tail. <laughs> but um, then a lot of people won't watch Bankless too because they'll be like, oh, it's a weird religious group where they got Ethereum diamonds tattooed on their head. And like, <laughs> so uh, I, I just think in general in crypto, the tribalism and stuff is so silly because isomorphically, 
all groups and 99% the same and inspired by the same set of principles, whether they're on, whether they're Bitcoin maxis, Ethereum maxis, they're the red triangle fucking people on Twitter, whether they've got the Solana O, like, you know, all the, all the way down, mostly those groups are virtually the same thing. But because they've got a different ticker for their investment, they're incredibly mean to each other and hostile on the internet. And it doesn't make any sense to me because it's like, it's like, it feels more like sports teams and like football than it does. Like in general, everyone really likes football as crypto, but because they like Manchester United instead of Man City, they're going to punch each other in a bar where the bar is Twitter. It doesn't make so much sense to me that all these people just have the exact same interests. They have the same or similar ways of viewing the world. They reject uh, fiat money in the same way. Sure, there's some there's some nuance between the groups, but generally you're much more similar to each other than the no-coiners or people anti-crypto or the anti-NFT you know, sort of people. So really you're kind of on the same team and instead it just becomes this weird like civil war over nothing really. I know David wants to jump in here and talk about like this argument over decentralization over time, but like I have one quick question. First of all, like I hard agree that all of these other chains and everything else is net accretive for crypto in general. It's bringing more users, like another hard agree. But I guess my question to you is like, what about all of the profit maximalists who are just here to fake decentralization, do that for a few years? And then do the Justin something where uh, bye bye project. Like we've seen this happen every single cycle so many times where it's too easy to fire up some chain or some white paper for that matter, but for a new chain in the cycle to talk about decentralization, to copy and paste a whole bunch of projects and then to dump on retail like and leave VCs in the lurch. That's why from our perspective too, it's like, it's also a matter of like, yes, these narratives are working now, but are there actual fundamentals behind these narratives and how is retail going to feel the next time this narrative kind of this attention from your recent blog post this attention on this thing evaporates they're going to be left high and dry because we've seen it play out before and i know you've seen it play out multiple times being in crypto for the last decade what are your thoughts on that the profit maximalism and like who's going to push back against that stuff I think that, again, the best way to push back against that stuff is to at least acknowledge the game everyone is playing, right? Like, if you tell those people who are going to fall for those things, who are going to fall for buying, you know, some project, which only real goal is to enrich the founders and early investors. And there's a, a lot of them now, you know, like we're late in the crypto historically boom bust type cycle so people who have spent the last 18 months and haven't made the amount they want start going shit well all these vcs have got tons of money so maybe i can raise maybe i can build a project like i didn't make the 100 million i wanted to make so there's another way which is just to steal it so that always happens and that those those projects generally launch late cycle but those projects are normally not very successful over time like in general, I think the market is clued up to those things and figures it out. I think there's enough knowledge of the importance of decentralization and technological benefits that over a long enough time period, it washes out. Sure, some people will lose money along the way and they always do, but they also lose money on things that are like technically good ideas too, right? Like Zcash, <laughs> like no one's going to say that the Zcash founders were to personally enrich themselves, but that chart is the worst chart I've ever seen. It is just, just a straight line down, especially when you chart it against Bitcoin or Ethereum, uh, who themselves did not have the most remarkable year versus market average. Um, it is terrible, but 
like the tech behind that was incredible like incredibly useful and old zook i like i know he had the grocery tweet <laughs> like people mocked him but i don't think the point of building zcash was so that he could personally be rich i genuinely think he believes that like shielded transactions and, pri and privacy is missing from a, a blockchain so there are always going to be bad investments and retail are particularly bad analyzing the fundamentals because they don't understand like like technological nuance they're bad at analyzing charts because they don't understand complex you know financial primitives nor do they understand tokenomics very well you see people you know rushing into cardano and cardano being the biggest youtuber crypto youtuber type coin and it has like a low price and people are tricked because oh low price what if cardano goes from one two dollars whatever it is today to a hundred dollars like solana did this year what if it does that and they don't take into account market caps and stuff i think there's tons of education that is needed but those projects that fake decentralization they don't seem to last long over time like projects that have obs obsolete tech don't last long over time either uh, i don't think it remains like a an enduring problem i do think that if you're worried about people losing money the biggest issue in crypto now is probably the regulator's lack of clarity for founders such that there is no um, reasonable way to do Ethereum's launch anymore. Because when Bitcoin was launched, right, you had this sort of immaculate conception moment, uh, which can never be reproduced now because it was a thing that went to a mailing list of hobbyists who did not necessarily have a financial interest. They didn't know what was going to happen in the future. And as the information disseminated over time, people were able to see something and go, this is important to the world. Um, and they were rewarded for that. People were able to put in some work in order to get coins in exchange. And then when Ethereum launched, obviously crypto was, it was 2014, the ICO won it. Um, there were crypto had been through a couple of market cycles and people understood there was a lot of money to be made in crypto now. So offering to everybody in crypto on the same terms, the ability to buy was probably fairer than launching a mining only initiative on day one because um, it, uh, like mining only initiatives have the same structure as an ICO anyway, and funding a team is probably useful. And as we've transitioned from those days into ICOs, ICOs mimicked that Ethereum initial distribution, and then the SEC started to enforce against ICOs, so projects would start to raise in private. And as they raise in private, now the only people that can buy a good idea on day one is like VCs, professional investors, insiders, people that are already rich, me and you, who have podcasts, who like people listen to them, so maybe we, they should put them in the round, you know? And retail investors, they can only buy on market when people are already up 100x or so. And I think that dynamic is much more important to retail buying scams because retail know they want to be early. And the only people who have the risk tolerance to do a fair sale to retail are the people who have the risk tolerance to do, do a like a scam project that's enriching themselves. Like if I sell to retail, they'll buy my shit. I'll be rich. Maybe they get rich if this project does well, but I don't care. Whereas the founders who are, have long-term visions for their projects are maybe going shit regulation is unfortunately something that we have to contend with. Maybe we should raise from professional investors until we get it right. And the dynamics that have been introduced by that 
I think, uh, more damaging to retail over time. At the top of a bubble now, like we have lots of people who are already rich and they can do fair launch projects again and they can accept that reg risk because they can kind of say fuck you to the regulators. They can move to, I don't know, wherever the new regarb location is. But I think that is the biggest problem for retail losing money is the unfair terms of entry, of taking a risk. And you got, you get, you know, the parental guidance of the US tells you you're not allowed. And then because of that, the projects that are launched more fairly launched from not necessarily the best projects always, um, or they've taken uh, a big risk to be able to launch in that way. But I, yeah, I think it's an interesting problem. Obviously, people losing money is bad. I just tend to ramble, sorry. <laughs> the Gemini Exchange has been my exchange of choice ever since I got into crypto. I use Gemini to both buy the dips and also manage my regular automatic monthly purchases of my preferred crypto asset. On Gemini, you'll find over 50 different cryptos, including many of the top DeFi and metaverse tokens like YFI and Axie Infinity. Using Gemini Earn, you can earn yield on your various cryptos, including 8% on the GUSD stablecoin. Using the Gemini credit card, you can earn crypto rewards on every purchase you make, and your crypto rewards immediately lands in your Gemini account the instant you swipe your Gemini credit card. Gemini is available in all 50 states and more than 50 countries worldwide. So if you're looking to upgrade your crypto exchange, sign up at Gemini with gemini.com slash gobankless and get $15 of Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within the first 30 days. That's gemini.com slash gobankless. The Brave browser is the user-first browser for the Web3 internet, with built-in privacy and ad blocking to keep you in charge of your digital footprint. And inside the Brave browser, you'll find the Brave wallet, the first secure crypto wallet built natively inside of a Web3 crypto browser. What's Web3? Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street, more control and better privacy. But there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. The Brave wallet is different. Brave wallet is built natively inside the Brave browser, no extension required, which gives the Brave wallet an extra level of security versus other wallets. With the Brave wallet, you can buy, store, send, and swap your crypto assets, and you can even manage your NFTs and connect to other wallets and DeFi apps, all from the security of the best privacy browser on the market. Whether you're new to crypto or a seasoned pro, it's time to ditch those risky extensions. It's time to switch to the Brave wallet. Download Brave at brave.com bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you want to make sure you're getting the best possible price on your trade. And that's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your trade across all the various liquidity sources in Ethereum and is also operational on Polygon, Avalanche, Binance Smart Chain, and other chains. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pools the liquidity for me in a single easy to use platform and allows me to make limit on-chain orders so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. So when you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. First, you were talking about just the users, right? And I just want to reiterate that like users should just do whatever they want and they can go and do all the things. This is not a question about like what users are up to, but more of what Ryan was saying, which is like the actual designers of this system. And I totally agree with you that the regulations are getting in the way of creating fairly designed, fairly distributed projects. The concept of decentralization and regulation are oil and water. You can't have decentralization if you also have regulation. Like regulation is kind of a centralizing force anyways, because then you start playing the game of who can navigate the regulatory waters better than others. And that requires expertise and expertise is centralized. 
and you talked about how like, well, you know, Ethereum started off centralized and moved towards decentralization. And I think Ryan and I would, we would say that like, well, that's also because of a very important role of decentralization in the actual culture of Ethereum. Now we have this very unfortunate reality where a lot of these newer L1s, the only way that they could have gotten started is by spreading out the capital towards VCs. The other unfortunate thing is that in order to compete in the world of crypto DeFi smart contracts is you have to be faster than Ethereum because Ethereum's like got a monopoly, almost a guy has a monopoly on decentralization. So like your competitive edge is now throughput and throughput at the protocol layer. This is when some of these conversations start to get technical. Throughput is centralization. Now you are compromising on decentralization in order to exist at all. And then maybe we can decentralize later. But you have this unfortunate interaction behind how these fast chains need to be centralized in order to be fast, in order to compete with Ethereum. But also, in order to start up these systems, you have to sell to VCs or, or to centralized parties, right, because of regulation. And so we have, and especially with now all of these chains are also proof of stake, we have centralized capital allocation towards centralized parties running centralized nodes. And yes, we have seen many, many things throughout crypto's history tilt towards decentralization. But I think it's pretty reasonable to say that, well, this time we haven't seen that in this specific case. We have VCs with an outsized portion of proof of stake assets where the nodes themselves are also centralized. I find it hard to see a path of that actually becoming decentralized, especially with delegated proof of stake, where so much inflation, because of how these centralized chains are operated by inflation, so much of this inflation stays in the hands of the people that already had the capital in the first place. While historically throughout crypto, we have seen things tilt towards decentralization, the specific parameters, the combination of regulation, high throughput chains, and also VC-owned token supply, those are three big, heavy marks towards being able to tilt towards decentralization. And we haven't, I don't think we've seen that before in the crypto space. So that is a chasm that I don't think we can just take on, on faith that that actually will be crossed by the dynamics of how these systems got started. And also like, it's very unfortunate that regulation created this and it's definitely not the fault of the founders that regulation exists, but it kind of doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that like, it's not the fault of the founders. These systems got spun up in the way that they got spun up regardless. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think you can look at the the staking design and say like the m mistakes were made. I think you can look at Ethereum's staking design and equally say mistakes were made. You know, we've had a beacon chain uh, rollout without a ton of staking diversity where the top stakers were all centralized exchanges that already have, you know, huge important roles in the ecosystem have just been handed even more power. So the beacon chain, it suddenly has like these sort of horsemen of like Binance and Kraken and stuff where like not only are they the majority, like the, the main on-ramps, but now they're responsible for chain security as well. And you've seen the introduction of liquid staking as a response and get like huge, huge market share, like very quickly. I think Lido is now the second largest staker after Binance or Kraken or something. I need to do my disclaimers. It's Kraken. It's Kraken, yeah. I was a founding member of Lido DAO, worked on Lido for in like 2020 to 2021. Uh, not financial advice. I don't want to go to jail. Uh, I don't work out anymore, <laughs> but the like people that work out are all very handsome. Um, but you've seen that happen with Ethereum. And, you know, a lot of the choices Ethereum made so that solo stakers can participate and the chain stays healthy can also lend itself towards 
centralization over time. They made it like very scary to be a solo staker. You know, like Kane from Synthetics lost loads of his Ethereum by setting up his shit wrong. I think there are a lot of des design decisions that are made in all chains that can lead to some centralization. I do think that the way current L1s are launched are completely suboptimal. Like, and it would be much better if they were launched in the same way Ethereum was launched. And I think Ethereum being proof of work for some period of time after the sale also helps with with distribution and, and uh, decentralization before moving to proof of stake. But I think like, you know, node requirements for Solana over time just become a non-issue, right? Like technology is ever increasing. It's not like these are gonna, like maybe they're a high barrier to running a node today. It's not gonna be a high barrier to running a node in 20 years. So, and you have to think about how old these things are as well, right? Like Solana was 2018, 2019. I don't know when the first non-block, whatever the fuck they call a block, was mined, but I don't know when the first proof of history was printed. That's like sounds really pretentious. That's the main reason to not like Solana. Proof of history is a pretentious name. But, <laughs> but I don't know when that first happened. I think it was 2018, maybe 2019. But that means they're two or three years into existing. And two or three years into Ethereum existing, if the ICO was Inception, it was 2014, if it was like first block mined a bit later. But... The DAO hack stole, was it like a third of supply or something? It was like a third of all Ethereum. I feel like if that happened today on Solana or Avalanche or uh, whatever, it would be absolute scenes. It would be comedy. People would be like from the roof laughing at these centralized scamming like chains who've like totally fucked it up. Lol, one third of all supply taken in a single hack. Haha, ha. what are you going to do? Roll back the chain. That's what it would, the discourse would be like today. And everyone participating in it, it would be, it would be fun. I, I'd enjoy Twitter that day. I'd have some good jokes, I'm sure. And I think that shows that the attitude over time does lend towards the centralization. People do care about these things. Maybe it's just our uh, sub-community, no matter like how you participate in it. But in reality, that actually did happen to Ethereum, <laughs> which has decentralization as principles. And I just think if, like, I don't think the coverage of a similar event today would be as fair. And I definitely don't think anyone would expect a chain to be able to go to, from strength to strength after that. I should also disclose that like when that happened, I did do those same tweets and I was like, Ethereum cash is the future. Whatever the Ethereum classic, Ethereum classic. Yeah, I was like, ETC. it was me and Barry Silbert were like, that clearly Ethereum <laughs> classic is the decentralized Ethereum. <laughs> so like, uh, I, applying decentralization above all else as the primary principle it like failed in that specific case because the primary principle was people create value and vitalik and people around vitalik create value naming name provenance is important all those kind of things uh, were more important than decentralization in valuing uh, ethereum versus ethereum classic despite my political and personal bias towards Ethereum Classic, um, that was just wrong as an investment thesis and as like historically wrong. Like Ethereum Classic is zero right now, despite Barry still trying to pump it. I'm actually curious to talk about that. So I think we talked about a lot of decentralization versus centralization, your thoughts on that. But you mentioned uh, Ethereum Classic as being sort of a, you know, a loss. And I'm curious to tap into kind of your brain over the last 10 years and some of the things that you've gotten wrong over the last 10 years that you can help us with. Because I feel like what happens is we're all humans and we all make the same mistakes every cycle. 
So you meet someone new in crypto, like class of 2020, class of 2021, and you're like, oh, I know exactly what mistakes you're about to make, right? And so maybe people listening, Kobe, can avoid those mistakes by hearing from some of yours. And then also would love to hear about some of your biggest wins. So some of the things that you've been really right about. But first, let's talk about those uh, losses. Yeah, so uh, I've made every possible mistake you can make in crypto virtually, like all of them as new ones are invented it means they're probably invented by me i've done virtually everything wrong often in crypto you do something for the, like you do something wrong and you get rewarded for it so i've had those as well <laughs> i think my biggest wins and my biggest losses were all by making mistakes because my biggest portfolio wins were making like throwing risk management completely out of the window and like doing something that now i would no longer do because I didn't understand properly then. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what I was doing or what was important. My first two trades ever after buying Bitcoin, my first like investments in other things were my biggest like portfolio multipliers ever. I did like 200, 300x in my first few months in crypto by buying some altcoins that were just like completely trash. But at the time, I didn't know why they were trash. Like I bought something called Quarkcoin which was promoted by a YouTuber called Bill Still, who's like 150 years old. And he's like a doomer, like like finance guy. He promoted Quarkcoin and it had like seven different hashing algorithms. And I was brand new and I was like, seven seems like a lot. So <laughs> let's go all in that. <laughs> that seems like seven times better than Bitcoin. Um, and like, because loads of people saw this Bill Still thing and then other people started going, oh, Bill Still might be onto something. Uh, it went parabolic and during the like time it went parabolic i researched like okay why would you need seven hashing algorithms and it turns out you don't <laughs> like it turns out that's not a useful thing and it was just like a like it's a gimmick a small story someone had told an experiment mm. someone had done so i sold it and i managed to sell like virtually at the top and then i did the same thing again on like some something else and all of a sudden i'd like looked my way into massive portfolio multiples and could take the game a little bit more seriously because I'd gone from having like zero money and being in debt to having like something substantial. But I also did that on stuff where the opposite happened and, you know, I like lost like a third of my portfolio in a single trade. And honestly, over time, you can just look back and at everything as like, oh, that was a really good moment for me. That was a really good moment for me of these like small compounding wins but the main thing that I would attribute to, like attribute to at least my investment style was like trade things and return to value where originally I thought the only value was Bitcoin, right? I was played altcoins from as soon as I got into crypto, but I, my long-term thesis was Bitcoin is the only real value in this space so far. And I'll trade attention or narrative or whatever. I'll participate in the waves uh, in order to get more Bitcoin, because I need to get as much Bitcoin as I can before everyone else figures out that Bitcoin is really valuable. People don't know right now, I know, I need to get as much as I can and I don't have any money, so I can't just like buy it. I'll trade my way there. And then over time that evolved and I learned about Ethereum and I thought, okay, maybe Ethereum now has crossed this chasm into being value too. And I think maybe there's a handful, five, 10 things that fit that sort of description today of like value that you should try and own before everyone figures out, figures out how valuable it is. And by taking this sort of approach of like everything else is actually worth zero as much as you can trick yourself in real time or FOMO or whatever, if you have this at the back of your head, this is all worth zero apart from these value assets, you're basically flipping 
penny stocks in order to like buy more Apple or Amazon or whatever, then you're happy to take a 5x in something else and move on. You never go, oh, I got this like really great trade where I held it for a billion percent because you don't subject yourself to those things. You go, I made a profit, I get more value. I make a profit, I get more value systemically over time. And this also helped me like avoid the massive uh, L's as well because I took you take a sort of Horcrux approach to investing where you split your soul into like a million different pieces across everywhere because you know the only thing you have to do is like like retain this value so you can't lose all of your bitcoin in a hack you can't lose all your ethereum in you know like some smart contract is that what you still do by the way kopi do you still like denominate in bitcoin and ether all of your gains i denominate in ethereum um ethereum from 2020 onwards basically and you still denominate in ethereum then you still denominate in eth all your wins yeah because like the way i think about it right is like wow you gotta consider what do you think is the most liquid asset that you could hold your entire net worth in so in 2020 like may 2020 you go okay if you think crypto is going to get really hot now because the inflation narrative is becoming mainstream that was one of the early things that i understood like you know they're printing money and bitcoin should therefore appreciate over time because the denominator gets is worth less and less over time if you think there's going to be a bull run you should denominate in the asset that you think is liquid enough for your entire net worth but that will perform the best so i thought in 2020 ethereum will outperform bitcoin so i should put my entire net worth into ethereum because i think that will perform the the best but it's more liquid enough for me to enter to enter and exit in a moment if i need to and then i should spend the bull market trying to outperform ethereum because i should be only deploying when i think something is gonna perform better than ethereum Um, and i can't put my entire net worth into other things that i think are going to perform better than ethereum because when the time comes to sell i might slip the entire chart to zero by trying to sell so you then position based on like what you think liquidity requirements are and stuff. So like I was not as early as everyone else. I didn't buy any of the seed rounds or anything, but I was early-ish to the all L1 trades, but I miscalculated how liquid they become. I didn't realize that, you know, Sam was going to go full like Solana Jesus. And I didn't realize that three arrows were going to become, you know, the, you know, the the legion of avalanche factions. So I, I didn't know that they would be so liquid. So maybe it was a mistake. Maybe in December uh, 2020, you could have said, actually, you put full net worth in Solana now because it's going to perform better than Ethereum and it will be liquid enough to to exit. I actually don't know if it would have been. Uh, I didn't didn't check. don't like to look at my mistakes. But yeah, I denominate in Ethereum because you, I call Ethereum effectively the like market average like the market performance that's the thing that you should be trying to outpace if you do this full-time as an investor or trader because if you spent like the last 18 months actively trading and investing and you could have just held ethereum then it's like you just wasted your day could have been outside having like a nice time with the sun which i haven't seen in a long time Kobe, you have your history in crypto so rich. When we ask you questions, you pull in things from so many distant corners of crypto in order to you know, elaborate upon why you think the things that you think. And something that I've coined in my own brain is this term I've been using, crypto brain. You have like crypto brain, just too much crypto going in the brain. You wake up, check the prices, check Twitter, like you learn about, you read a white paper, too much crypto. And like, you've been in here for almost a decade now. I'm in my fourth year and then my second bull market. And oh my God, is this bull market just like kind of draining? It's just like weighing on me. It's so exhausting. How have you dealt with crypto brain? Because like crypto brain is like, I have like toxic levels of crypto in my brain. 
I think about it like 16 hours a day. All my friends are in crypto. My entertainment is crypto Twitter. And when I'm done with that, I go up and pull up crypto YouTube. How have you dealt with like crypto brain? How have you managed the like depressed the toxicity levels of crypto in your brain? Yeah, so I got several answers for this, but my first observation is in a way, what you're describing is not a crypto phenomenon. In fact, uh, everyone in the world is currently experiencing the same thing, but with their hobby of choice. And some people have chosen crypto, some people have chosen GameStop, some people have chosen video games, some people have chosen anti-NFT parading, some people have chosen coronavirus vaccine, like a opinion groups or whatever. And I think it is a result of the world coming increasingly digital and online communities like formation, like how that's changed over time, plus the pandemic and people being inside quite a lot and loads of stuff that people do to socialize being closed uh, for a year or so. So I'm hoping it actually goes away a little bit as and if <laughs> the world goes back to being a bit more normal. But for me, I tried for as long as possible to have crypto as a hobby and only a hobby. So I always tried to have another job, even if I didn't need a job. I had like an investment portfolio and like was working on building something. And I tried to make sure that something was never in crypto, you know, always getting job offers or um, having like stuff I wanted to build in crypto. It was, it felt better to me to have my entire net worth and attention and like spare time in crypto and then this hedge of real world where if this weird drug money uh stuff that i got involved in a while ago went to zero i would at least have a normal career and other interests and be like able to do other stuff i think it really helped and like having a routine and having people uh friends with like normal uh hobbies that were not related to like self-custodying internet tokens in a massive online casino um it was like, like was very healthy i gave all that up so <laughs> Now I don't have any of that anymore. And yeah, I mean, I, I think you just got to be disciplined like all things. I, I, the people that do best in crypto have like massive self-discipline anyway. For me, I'm just like disciplined about spending time with family now and going to the gym and like playing video games and enjoying myself and stuff. Because I think that it makes me do better at the crypto stuff anyway, as long, if I'm not like way too deep and in a, in a massive hole. Especially now that like, especially crypto Twitter curates you the winners it like your feed every day is the people that like won for the day or the person whose bod ape got stolen that's all crypto twitter is there's loads of people who like just hit them like out of the park ten thousand x in a day and they're like screenshot here's my gains for the last six hours and you're like well i'm doing terribly <laughs> and then there's like a dude who gave his seed phrase over because someone offered to buy it for double as long as they gave the seed phrase like that's all crypto twitter is so um, if you spend too much time on there, I think that you just, your mental gets a bit messed up. You focus on like people having the worst possible time and people having the, the best possible time instead of just like, what do I need to do today? I do, I, I do think there is one thing that like crypto has really fucked up in my head, which is like I, a lot of my friends now, people I talk to and people have been doing crypto for 10 years or, you know, are all like now like DECA billionaires, right? So like, Suzu messages me sometimes to get my opinion on the market and I'm like, I don't know what his net worth is, but I'd estimate it's like 20 to 50 billion or something. <laughs> Maybe I'm massively overestimating. People always do that to me. And then there's like, you know, these exchange owners and like, I'm in these like group chats of like OGs who in the bear market would just sit and cope with each other and be like, are we dead? Like, did we believe in the wrong thing? <laughs> um, and now they're all just so 
rich that in my head it fucked up the like what a lot of money is or like what the value of money is and i think that's the like weird most toxic thing and even crypto twitter does this right like you follow these people who are all buying these like million dollar watches and like insane houses and stuff and i live like, like a much more normal life i think to to those people i did well in crypto i didn't do as well suzu or sam or the alameda guys but i don't buy like silly watches and stuff and i find myself sometimes being completely disconnected from what a lot of money is and like that's the thing i try the most to like reset often because um having been in the markets for 10 years and, and doing all right puts you in a massive place of great privilege but all of my friends and family did not listen to me they thought i was weird and that this thing was like i was getting scammed in a mlm scheme or something so the people around me in real world have really normal lives and normal situations and they know what a lot of money is and you know they have like money problems and stuff and then my friends on my phone are all like decker billionaires wondering you know if they're gonna need to build their own i don't know waterfall or forest so they can have clean air and water or something at some point so like i think those two things are like really like difficult to reconcile uh i don't want to become like a weird person no offense to sue i don't think he's, he's a bit weird but whatever. does does wealth weigh on you i uh, i don't think so in 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 some ways i think that it highlights how much of a scam everything is like i knew it was before having any money, I did all right in crypto. People always massively overestimate my net worth. I only I get two things like huge, massive, ridiculous overestimations, and then like just some slight overestimations. <laughs> it's like no one ever underestimates it. <laughs> but I did all right, and you know I'm I'm very comfortable now. But before I had money, I thought everything was a scam and uh, it was all rigged and blah 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 blah. And now having money and being able to help my family out, for example, and seeing my parents personalities change because they don't have to worry about certain things anymore like making ends meet or like what's gonna happen when they retire or these kind of things seeing their personalities change and getting to know them more as people because some number changed on a screen makes me a like everything seems like a giant scam but b feel like i was also slightly robbed of experiencing that while I was growing up or while I was younger because they had these burdens and had to worry about them. So it doesn't weigh on me so much, but I do think a lot about about that. Like it feels like everything is a bit of a scam for some like weird numbers on a screen. And it means that people like live their lives in ways where they don't get to properly know the people around them because everyone's always worried about short-term stuff. Um, but I don't know, it's a good question though. Well, so let me ask you though, Kobe. So like, where do you find your purpose? after you like reach that point. God, we're going deep, aren't we? My purpose at the moment is to get to Diamond in League of Legends. It's been the same purpose for eight years and I'm still in silver. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, so like I, I see lots of people and you know, once you get past that post-scarcity mindset, right? And it just becomes, one of the first Bankless episodes we did, we were trying to talk about money, like what actually is money? And I remember David said something in that episode, basically money is just a point system. It's high score, man. We're all competing for high score. And that's eventually what kind of the deck of billionaires get to. It's just like this big competition for high score. And so you see someone like a SBF who's like, oh, once I reach my high score, whatever that number is, I'm just giving it all away. Like maybe that's become SBF's purpose in life. But it strikes me that that's a hard thing for a lot of crypto people to figure out. Once you get to the post-scarcity point, 
what do you do? Like, what's the purpose? It's no longer, you got enough points. You really want to compete with Suzu on the scorecard? Or what do you do with life? Yeah, so it, it, I think it certainly is a points system at the the high end. I think on the, the low end, it's not a point system at all. It's like whether people can uh, like live in uh, a comfortable and secure place and like whether they can eat and stuff. But um, like fortunately for me, I've always, I find it very easy to be interested in stuff. Like I find it easy to like be curious and explore things and have fun uh, reading about and doing different stuff. So I kind of got into crypto in the first place. I don't struggle too much with that. Like I, um, there's tons of stuff that I, th I find really interesting. I'd like to explore. There's tons of things where I want to build things or I like to know the people building those things and like talk to them about their challenges and stuff. And I think there's loads of stuff in the world that like at the end of the day, while many of the crypto OGs that had the sort of origin story that I described of like, oh, wow, the, the system's a scam and blah, blah, blah. They invested in Bitcoin for these reasons. And then like, yeah, they got rich, but like the system didn't really change. So I think a lot of those people still have the same motives and they're figuring out how to apply them in different ways and, and how to um, at least network and stay friends with the people that all have the have those motives. I like a lot of my Twitter account and up only podcast stuff. It's not like like obviously like it, it's just a bunch of thoughts and like it's not very sophisticated or well put together. Like you know you, you do research and stuff and you're you like real podcast people. Me and Ledger don't know who the guest is going to be half the time. Like we just turn up and like, what are we doing? Oh God, do you know who this person is? No, you. That's like kind of what ours is like. But the the purpose behind doing it is to have hopefully an engaging and honest way for people to keep up with what they're interested in. And I write stuff on the Substack because hopefully it's interesting to other people who have similar interest to me and want to go through a similar, you know, sort of set of experiences and it might make it easier. And the stuff I'm funding, not in the crypto world, stuff I'm in, like trying to find founders that are, are building or put teams together to like incubate ideas, they all have a, a similar kind of mission, but from a different perspective. Like I'm very well exposed to crypto now and I, I hope that crypto can continue to do good in the world. But I also think that there needs to be a bunch of like well-funded capital and intellectual capital spent on non-crypto uh, things that are solving the same problems. And I think over the last few years with how Western governments have handled the pandemic and exploited the inability for people to know what's real anymore, especially on the internet, in order to sort of plunder the current generation for like private wealth of like their mates, stuff like that is like, I'm not convinced that if it was on a blockchain, <laughs> it wouldn't have happened. I think we'd be able to point to the transaction and they'd still go, I don't care. Yeah. So what? Sorry, we won't do it again. So I spent a a ton of my my time now doing stuff not in crypto. I spend like three days a week on crypto these days. I spend a lot of time in real world uh, other things, doing other stuff mostly. Ryan is going to pull up this alignment chart, Kobe, which I think you'll be uh, familiar with. This is out of Dungeons and Dragons. And so people might be familiar with this. It's a three by three grid <laughs> from left to right. It goes lawful, neutral to chaotic. And then from top to bottom, it goes 
good, neutral to evil. Nine possible outcomes like lawful good, chaotic neutral, neutral evil, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're listening on the podcast, you can check this out on the YouTube, but it's pretty self-explanatory. You can just Google it. Kobe, which are you? I don't think anyone's going to accept I'm anywhere in the, the left or the middle. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're instantly in the right. We're in the chaotic column. Um, I would like to say chaotic good, but I will concede likely chaotic neutral. Um, I, there's a guy that I, my old boss at my old job, who I really respect, he's had a really um, successful career in, in tech, was built some of the most important tech companies that currently exist at like really pivotal moments in, in their sort of history. Once he told me I was chaotic good and I was like, that's just, I feel chaotic good now. And I feel on reflection, I'm actually probably chaotic neutral. But you got the chaotic part, right? <laughs> I just liked it when I was chaotic good. So like chaotic neutral, aspiring to be chaotic good. But then there's like the other shoulder. Sometimes like, just do the evil thing. I'm like, yeah, go on then. What about your uh, <laughs> podcast co-host Ledger? Where's Ledger? Oh, he's lawful good, isn't he? Ledger's lawful good? Ledger's lawful good. <laughs> yeah, come on. You can't be anywhere else. Kobe, is it true you've never met Ledger in person? Yeah, we're never going to meet. You do it a podcast without meeting your co-host in person. Wow, that sounds familiar, David. Yeah, that's crazy. Who does that? <laughs> <laughs> Have you met? Are you two? No. Met? We've never met. <laughs> <laughs> we, live in, we live in the same country, so there's absolutely no yeah. excuse. Uh -huh. How far just... away in the same country? Oh, is it like yeah. I mean, different yeah. coasts. Opposite side. Yeah, right. it's so not like David's the next city mm -hmm. over, but yeah, yeah, different coast. But like we started it in COVID and then yeah, if you met Ledger, would it destroy the podcast? That's what I'm worried about with David. Yeah, I think we, we've just agreed that would be the end. Maybe we're, I don't know how tall he is. I like to imagine he's like eight feet tall. He's like a Teletubby. So if he's like shorter than me, I think it'd be really weird. Um, but um, yeah, again, we started COVID as well. So it was like, and I, we didn't really mean for it to be a podcast, actually. Uh, do you know BitLord? The Australian guy who's like got no. deplatformed when he was he was he was in China when COVID started happening, and then he posted this weird video of him like smoking in a hospital after catching COVID in like January or February of 2020 before COVID was like a thing, and then he just disappeared from Twitter like <laughs> that was it he was gone, and for like a year or so he was gone it was like super strange he was in China, uh, doing these real weird videos on COVID I think most of them were satire. Um, or like satirical commentaries on, I, I have no idea. It was extremely internet, like deep internet content. And they disappeared for a year. And then he DM'd me a year later, like I'm back. And I was like, we've got to do a stream to say like what you've, what has been happening to you. And no one knows where you went. Oh my God. And then I couldn't make the stream work because I'd never done it before. So Ledger was like, I'll host it for you. And we hosted it and loads of people watched it. And he was like, do you want to do this again? And we were like, yeah, all right, cool, sure, fine. I've got nothing else to do. I'm locked in my house. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's kind of how it happened. You know, I'm not done with this grid though, but, but should we should we name some other crypto personalities for this list? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right, it'll be fun. What do you reckon um, Barry Silbert? I don't know Barry Silbert all that well. <laughs> uh, lawful, I think in the lawful camp, certainly. Definitely lawful. I'm tending towards the bottom left square there, rectangle. <laughs> Oof. All of his products are neutral, but I think when you combine them all together, it's too big. It's too much of a oral baron type guy figure. Could be lawful evil. <laughs> oil baron. Look, he bought he bought eighty million dollars of Zcash with other people's money. He goes in lawful evil. I think it's probably neutral or good, but he gets into evil just for that one alone. Okay, uh, what do you think about three arrows capital as an entity? I reckon true neutral. True neutral? Yeah. I think they watch how the world works and try and act 
on that and they don't necessarily try and dictate the future as much as people think they do um i think probably true neutral i think you'll have a lot a bunch of people watching and saying like they're definitely in the evil category <laughs> um <laughs> uh how about vitalik vitalik Buterin. neutral good interesting neutral good how about um anthony Cesano? uh i don't know enough about Sasan, I don't know where you would put him on the lawful chaotic stuff because I don't know enough about him. But okay. he like makes like really, really, really. He like works really, really hard on his content, and like no one watches it. So he's like, <laughs> I think. Oh, I he's think gonna feel awesome. bad. <laughs> but I like. I mean, he can see it. He can look at his view count. Like it's not. Like, it's not a secret that no one watches it. But he does it anyway. So I think. I think that means he's like securely and good because like he has principles and he wants to share about the things that are really interesting to him. I don't think he's chaotic, so I would go lawful or neutral, but I don't know him well enough. And I didn't mean to diss his, he's got very good content. Just people don't, I think it's because of how he looks. They don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. It's the flat cap. People don't like flat caps. <laughs> they don't. They, uh, people, people don't trust people with flat caps on. What do you think about um, Kyle Samani? Um... <laughs> <laughs> this is fun <laughs> neutral evil why evil <laughs> we don't have to answer that <laughs> neutral evil or also true neutral maybe maybe lawful evil mm, i could see it or no he's lawful neutral lawful neutral he lawful neutral yeah because like evil is like doing stuff against other people intentionally right mm. like going out of your way to harm others and like there's no chance he's doing that Neutral is like just for self benefit, right? It's just to like, like, don't care if it's good for other people, don't care if it's bad for other people. Mostly just interested in self. And good is like trying to do things for the benefit of others. So I don't think you can get a VC and put them in the good category at the top because at best I think you can probably get neutral and Multicoin very lawful. They've gone, they've bought all the seed rounds very fairly, sold them very fairly, I imagine. So, although they're in crypto, so shit. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can't be in lawful if you're in crypto. <laughs> God, this is too hard. Let's just stay with neutral evil. <laughs> How about um, Michael Saylor? Uh, Saylor. I think Bitcoin people that watch that will argue that he goes into good as well. But I would say probably lawful neutral. Is he a convicted criminal? Is he? No idea. I don't know about that history. That would be new to me. I think he got done by the SEC for in, in the... In the in year two thousand, but I don't think it's a convicted criminal. I think that's too strong language. I and, but I think he got in trouble for some security stuff in the dot com bubble. So I don't know. I don't know honestly. I I think what he's trying to do now is motivated from a place of good. So I will probably say lawful or neutral good, probably for Sailor. I think Sailor's really really interesting. Um, in that no matter what happens, he is. Like, it's a great story, right? Like, I was thinking about this the other day, and I watched back his clip on, you know, you know, mortgage your house, take all your assets, sell them, put it in Bitcoin, l like, lend against all your stuff, put it in Bitcoin. And, like, since he did that speech, I think Bitcoin price is basically the same. And on a long enough time horizon over, over time, which is, I think, what he's intending um, to say, I think he's probably right about that. But imagine if he'd done that speech about, like, Solana. <laughs> it's like Solana was like one dollar. <laughs> now it's two hundred dollars. He'd be like an icon. He would be the. It would be the most cool fucking thing on the internet. Um, that this dude just was like put everything in, go all in now. Um, 
So yeah, I, no matter what happens, if Bitcoin goes to zero, what an amazing story. He like raised multiple billions to like just market buy. <laughs> and if it goes like where I think we all believe it should be going over the next sort of 10, 20 years, again, what a legend. He's just borrowed the cheapest debt in like sort of history to buy something that's actually worth more than the paper he paid for it. So either way, I think it's like, just what a, like a, a what a legend and did you see the p- picture he posted the other day when he used to work at mcdonald's yeah yeah i did it was fucking amazing I did. wait what did it say on it it said something on the picture like um doing everything it takes or something like that yeah everything it takes something like yeah. this yes <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of those uh mcdonald's memes though like i'm getting my mcjob back because i you know failed yeah, in crypto yeah. but i i mean i like that he's able to post that because i think it means he can um uh, he appreciates, I think, some of the like self-referential humor in crypto more than I thought he might have done. He's an interesting character because if you talk about him in a nuanced way, like what he's doing is totally insane and like it's insanely cool. <laughs> but it's like that is pretty out there. But there's obviously the people that watch your podcast, but for Bitcoin, Peter's podcast, they get like upset if you say nuanced stuff about him. So I find it difficult to talk about my feelings on Sailor properly because of that. But like, no matter what, like, what a fucking legend. And especially at the start of the year when he was like hosting these big talks for other CFOs to like try and expose them to the the, the, the light that he has seen. Uh, I think that was, yeah, I, he's a legend. All right, uh, two more and then we'll wrap this up. Charles Hoskinson. You know, for this, you have to question like what his intentions are, I think. And that's always really, really difficult to know. I think... What I like about Charles is this sort of weird lack of self-awareness when he has these interactions in public that are just objectively hilarious, but he doesn't seem to see that. Like, you know, remember the MetaMask thing is really yeah. obvious now where he said, like, you're asking me to the founder of... IOHK, uh, yeah. The CEO of IOHK, mm-hmm. the founder of Ethereum and Cardano, which is a support email. Um, but, like, he's talking to, like, a support person <laughs> at the time. Like, it's not like you, the CEO of... MetaMask was saying, please do this. It was like a support person was referring you to the correct support person. Um, like, I think there are a lot of things like that where there's a lack of self-awareness that makes it objectively funny and that makes it possible to meme about. I think what he believes he's doing is for the good of the world, right? I think he believes what he's doing is to make the world a better place. He's just taking a different road to get there that takes a longer time to get there than everyone else. And maybe in doing that, ignoring wisdom from history about how to build things that interact with real people quickly and, you know, efficiently. But I don't think it would be unreasonable for people to take the opposite opinion and say, actually, he's promoting something in uh, a dishonest way and he's selling it as something that it's not and potentially risking uh, both portfolios and opportunity cost of his YouTube subscribers by doing that. I think I'd lean towards the good. I like to naturally try and see the good in people. So I think I'd like to pretend or make myself believe that he's doing it to be good. So I'll say he's neutral good, but he might be new, true neutral. Don't think he's chaotic. Don't think he's lawful. Fair enough. That's yeah. a very, that's a very charitable yeah. take. Very, very what do you, balanced, what, what yeah. do you say? Uh, I'm a little bit towards the bottom. Actually, all the way into the evil camp? Uh, like neutral. Yeah. I totally agree I don't with think that. he's evil. I haven't yeah. seen him do any evil stuff. Flirts with it. You know, my favorite Charles moment was when um, 
someone he posted a video because um very sad the coffee shop he went to had like a um gun attack there or something and some people died and he used to go to that coffee shop all the time and he posted um a video on the thoughts of it and it was titled something that made it sound like it was about cardano and the first reply was like this guy being like not gonna watch i guess it's gonna be more delays or something like that and he just (laughs) went off at this guy he like unleashed what you know had been brewing yeah Yeah. you know had been brewing inside him like getting like these jabs on the internet from all these people over the years making jokes about cardano and he was like i'm just gonna let it all out on this one guy and i was like wow i really like charles now like he's just (laughs) let go and that's what i want from charles i want to see the authenticity i want to see him go like shut the fuck up i'm trying to build something in the way i want to build it and i think this is the best way to build it and you're all fucking chirping while you don't build fucking anything that's what i want him to say but he doesn't say that and because it's like veiled and uh instead just talks about how great things are going that's where i i struggle more to believe it's authentic because if i were him i'd be like yeah we have missed the year of the alternative l1 like all these platforms have had huge booms and it was a failure of ours to not be ready at the same time they were ready and not to onboard millions of users during a year where millions of users were onboarded into crypto like our product wasn't working and we had a head start on all these other l1s but here's why it's that way and here's how we're going to make it in the future but instead it's just like you think DeFi's hard DeFi's fucking easy dude <laughs> it's like all right okay. okay i like to believe these people have good intentions i agree i do think that humans are inherently good so it's actually difficult to find yourself at the very bottom last one uh bankless where's bankless um probably lawful good like goody two shoes kind of thing <laughs> teacher's pet yeah, yeah teacher's pet exactly yeah because like i think what bitcoin did right is probably neutral good lawful good and then bankless is like lawful good you know going with the like big chain that everyone's allowed to use like not the the spicy ones that where people can you know where there's a bit of nuance in whether you can make money there but um that's probably where it lies. I don't think up only probably chaotic on the right again. Don't know where. Chaotic <laughs> neutral probably. We just get drunk. <laughs> so Kobe, this entire podcast has been a lot of fun, but we're also recording it at a time where the crypto market is not having much fun, right? It's like people are looking at uh, their portfolios and I don't know how far prices are down at this point in time, but you know, Jerome Powell said some things. He sneezed and it looks like crypto is headed towards a bearish start to 2022 do you think it ends there are you like up only what do you think for the year like just zooming out and being like okay 2021 was fantastic for crypto what do you think 2022 has in store for us is it overall going to be bullish or bearish yeah i mean if you look at ethereum's chart it looks super weird because the last 10 weeks have been the worst price action for like three or four years just like a slow grind downwards where like everything was just sold into every time it looked good it just got sold into which is pretty interesting because even though you've had big dumps you had the may dump and stuff it didn't look as bad as this it was just a like a correction after a parabolic move whereas this walked its way up and then walked its way down at no point really started accelerating so that looks pretty bad and if it doesn't bottom if we don't get like a washout bottom soon i think it starts to look like pretty horrible if you look at the Bitcoin chart, though, I mean, it's had, while the price has been up all year, it's had kind of a bearish year, um, like comparatively to market. But 
that looks more normal and a bunch of all layer ones actually look okay like atom looks really good and neo looks good and stuff like that where they they just don't seem to care as much about um this like downturn at the moment and i think that might be the story of this year which is a sort of dissemination of markets or a decorrelation uh within crypto i think bitcoin ethereum just don't have the adoption yet so they're trading like risk assets um they're like hypercorrelated to um stock market and stuff but within crypto you're not going to get the same everything moves together anymore because everything moves together when there is a net inflow into crypto, right? The crypto industry generally is growing because people are just pouring money into everything. Everything goes up together. And I think throughout this year, there will not be uniform flows into everything. I think people are going to be more selective about where they put their money. I think you have tons of unlocks happening this year in a bunch of alt-layer-1s, DeFi protocols, GameFi protocols, metaverse tokens across the entire like landscape of crypto. And they're brutal. They're like things that have $20 billion fully diluted valuations, but a market cap of a billion or something. So like the flow is super small compared to what is being unlocked over the course of this year. And I think those assets have a very difficult time. And one thing that'll be important to watch is if that has a knock-on impact on like stronger um, stronger things. So I think there'll be a, a dissemination of capital. Some things might continue to do well. Some things will literally go to zero. I don't think this. I think this is the first the first time we've had unlocks at like the froth of a bull market, right? Like because in 2017 everything was ICO. Everyone bought on the same day, immediately unlocked. It wasn't. This is locked for several years. And when that fundraising style changed and people were buying locked coins in 2018, 2019, those are starting to come unlocked in a bull market for the first time ever. Stuff came unlocked before the bull market was frothy, before valuations were really high. And now it's unlocks are happening into retail populated markets. And that didn't happen in 2017. And in 2017, stuff was able to go minus 95%. So a lot of those tokens can go minus 95% and the VCs will still be up 510x. So they can go 95% again and then they break even. So I think there's going to be a lot of pain in particular parts of the market. And when that happens, I think there's generally a lot of people who just go like, fuck this market, I'll sell everything. So I don't think it's going to be as exuberant as the last couple of years was. But equally, I am not willing yet to be committed to to being bearish. If the cycle ended here, it would end in a really strange place because we had a blow off top and then recovered and made new highs. And that's like never happened in history. And I like to be like an anthropological type trader just looks at what's happened before to make finances about the future. So I think it's gonna be a weird year. Like I think anyone making like up or down bets from here, they could just both get embarrassed. <laughs> you get both. So do you think it all depends on like macro conditions? Like what central banks do? I don't know, because I think that's a thing that people currently have convinced themselves they care about a lot, but macro conditions prior like bitcoin and ethereum have like gone more parabolic through worse macro conditions in the past so it's just this thing that's changing and people have agreed is important you know as they as they do like everyone agreed eip 1559 was super important you had this massive run up to it, and then it's like everyone was like oh well, that's over now we need to care about something new and then it actually starts to matter because there's a slight change in the economics of the supply demand so i think macro will be important and i think the fed is showing they're gonna start handling inflation they're not calling it transitory anymore and stuff but i think 
there'll be I think there's a bunch of stuff that's undervalued and there's a bunch of stuff that's overvalued that will correct throughout the year and hopefully you can see recoveries in like major bitcoin ethereum like the boring assets but if they're unable to recover in the f like first half of the year then i think it's like truly gonna be goblin town could be goblin town maybe not though uh kobe this was a lot of fun man this was a blast thanks for coming on bankless thanks for doing this with us we had a great time no problem when do i come back when are you available look you want to do layer zero <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a job mate i just I don't do anything i play video games and then go talk to some people who are building cooler stuff than what i've built in the past <laughs> Enjoy your weekend, man. You know, so I actually think, Kobe, like I'm going to agree with your boss on this one. I think you're a bit more chaotic uh, good than First Let's On. Maybe. It's easy to appear chaotic good when you're being curated, right? You're on a podcast, <laughs> your good so stuff. you think about what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's much more easy to be chaotic evil when you're in like a, a bedroom by yourself and you're pissed off with someone and you're like, I like this person. So, um, I'm, I'm happy to stay with neutral. Well, either way, man, you fit in whatever corner of the box you feel like, but it's been a pleasure to have <laughs> Thanks, you. Mate. We really appreciate it. And uh, for Bankless listeners, of course, you got to follow Kobe on Twitter. He's a must follow from my perspective. Some other action items for you as well. Check him out on Substack. So this is kobe.substack.com. Uh, recently learned that Kobe is like also a phenomenally talented writer. So some of the articles he's put out, and I don't know, Kobe, whether you went through some kind of like, you just punched them out over the holidays pounded these out yeah it's like five six articles all at once it's fantastic so look it's christmas what else are you gonna do well there you go so some extra time go check those articles out also subscribe to the up only podcast maybe bankless's sister podcast maybe the ying to bankless's yang i'm not sure but fantastic podcast david and i listen to it often as well risks and disclaimers of course guys we got to do the lawful good thing and give you these disclaimers ETH is risky. DeFi is risky. All of crypto is risky. None of this was financial advice. Don't think for a second it was. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.